Hello everyone, it is now 5pm on this Wednesday evening in Kingston and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca. Welcome to this week's segment of Today in YGK with me, your host, Alexandra Fernandez. Today in YGK brings you need-to-know news about what's going on right here in our beautiful city of Kingston. From current news, special segments, and interviews with some amazing guests, I'm sure you'll find something of interest that gets you to tune in. If you have any news to share with me, please contact me via email, which is news at cfrc.ca. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing okay on this Wednesday evening and that you had a lovely weekend. The weather was great, it wasn't too hot like it was the previous weekend. We had that nice cool summer breeze and it was really, really comforting. I know I spent a lot of time outside um, just with my family who I am in quarantine with still. Um, And hopefully this weekend the weather brightens up and we have some nice consistent sunshine throughout. Yesterday wasn't too bad, started off a little bit gloomy and gray, but got a little bit nicer as the day went on. Um, Before we jump into the local news and whatnot, I would like to take a portion of my segment today to talk about a lot of the stuff that has been featured not only in global news, but also all over social media as of recently. Um, For those of you who may not know what I'm referring to, I am talking about the protests that have been going on as a result of George Floyd's death, specifically in the USA and the protest that also happened just less than three hours west from Kingston in Toronto regarding Regis Korczynski-Paquette. For those of you who are unaware, George Floyd was a 46-year-old man who was arrested in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Footage of the arrest that took place on May 25th shows a white police officer named Derek Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck while he was pinned to the floor. Regis Korczynski-Paquette was a woman in her late 20s who fell to her death from an apartment balcony in the west end of Toronto. Before her death, police officers received a distress call and they were the last people to have interacted with her. The Special Investigations Unit in Toronto is asking people who have information and or evidence to contact the lead investigator or if someone has video evidence to upload it through the SIU website. The George Floyd protests have been going on for about a week now in several states across the USA and for Regis Korczynski-Paquette there was a protest on Saturday in Toronto where thousands showed up. There was also a vigil ceremony that was held for her in Ottawa over the weekend and um, at these events masks are required to be worn due to the fact that we still live in a state of emergency as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I wanted to take this time to let you know about these issues if you haven't already heard of them because living now in the 21st century you would hope that things like this still wouldn't be happening. We as a society need to continue having conversations 
these uncomfortable conversations about police brutality and racism and the Black Lives Matter movement because we need to stand strong with our community members who are suffering during this time, directly and indirectly. And I know that there are also a lot of people out there who are sharing a lot of posts on social media, but some may also be wondering, what's the next step? What more can I do to help out the communities and to contribute to a meaningful cause in which hopefully real change can be seen as a result of all of our contributions put together? For those who are more local, you can contact the director of the SIU in Toronto and demand justice for transparency and accountability in the handling of Regis Korchinski's case. You can also visit justiceforbigfloyd.com to learn more about the incident that happened and to educate yourself and how you can help bring justice to him and his family. Remember that only one of the four police officers involved in his death has been arrested and charged with murder. If you would like to make a donation to a racial justice campaign, you can donate to the George Floyd Memorial Fund to help his family. The Black Visions Collective, Campaign Zero, the Minnesota Fund, all these great organizations and um, a lot of them aim to shift the narrative to create long-term change and to create policy solutions to end police brutality in America. Um, as you may or may not know, yesterday was um, Blackout Tuesday in which people took the day to post on social media um, black, uh, just a picture of a black screen essentially with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Um, and basically people um, took the day not only to post a blank screen but to also post pictures and content to raise awareness to create change and to provide ways and resources to anyone to help um, in some way um, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement. If you go on any social media platform, just use the hashtag Black Lives Matter and I'm sure there will be millions of posts on how you can create change and do something small or big to make an impact and help all of those suffering. Music platforms like Spotify, SiriusXM had moments of silence to honor the lives of George Floyd and also the lives of people who were taken in the past because of police brutality and racism. On some Spotify playlists, maybe you noticed an 8 minute and 46 second pause to acknowledge that that was the amount of time that George Floyd was suffocated by the police officer. I think it is incredibly inspirational to see so many people coming together now so strong, so united to fight and create change. I think the incidents that have happened, and not just with George Floyd, but also Ahmed Aubrey, um, and even here, like we have Regis Korchinski, who is um, Canadian, um, I think all of these murders, I'm not even going to call them incidents, all of these murders that have happened has sparked this anger inside a lot of people and I think you know this is in the past I've noticed that when these things happen it kind of lasts for maybe a week or two and then afterwards it kind of dies down and we repeat this whole cycle until it starts again but now I feel like people are realizing this is not something that's going to end anytime soon so we got to do something about it and I hope that my little ramble has inspired some people to take change. So thank you for listening to my little important speech, I guess you could call it. And I hope that you are um, able to take action um, if you can.
Moving on to some positive news, some amazing history was made this past weekend when NASA astronauts were sent up to space in the SpaceX Crew Dragon. Um, for those of you who don't know, SpaceX is a company founded in 2002 by Elon Musk, who actually went to Queen's University for two years. Um, he graced Kingston with his presence before he transferred to the University of Pennsylvania. He then went on to do his PhD in Applied Physics and Material Sciences at Stanford, but dropped out just after two days, apparently, to pursue a business career. So anyways, Musk's company SpaceX launched NASA astronauts this past weekend in their own spaceship, which was marked as historic as it was the first time that astronauts used a spaceship from a private company. Today, over um, the phone, I have with me Connor Stone to talk about this historic launch. Connor grew up in Huntsville, Muskoka, and then got a bachelor's in physics from the University of Waterloo graduating in 2016. He then moved to Queen's University and graduated with a master's in physics in 2018, splitting his thesis between a project in the Sudbury Snow Lab, trying to detect dark matter, and a separate project studying the behavior of dark matter in galaxies. Connor has just started the third year of his PhD where he is studying a large collection of observed galaxy properties using machine learning and Bayesian statistics, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, with the goal of improving models of galaxy formation and evolution. And he is also the Queen's Observatory Coordinator in which he organizes public science outreach events and tours for classes and summer camps. So we're going to give Connor a call so we can talk about this historic SpaceX launch. Okay, great. Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you great. Um, awesome. Well, thank you first for um, agreeing to come on to CFRC to talk about um, the exciting stuff that happened over the weekend. Um, we're just going to get right into it, if that's okay with you. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, of course. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what kind of piqued your interest in astronomy and physics? Sure. So. I'm just starting my third year of my PhD studies in astrophysics here at Queen's University. And uh, as for how I got interested in astronomy, I think, like everyone else, I've always been interested in astronomy. Um, and I actually started my career in physics looking into particle physics, trying to study the smallest things in our universe. But when I came to Queens, I met a professor there and we really clicked and I sort of jumped at the opportunity to start studying galaxies, which are some of the biggest things in our universe. Mm -hmm. So I, I made quite a transition um, from the smallest to the biggest. Yeah, for sure. And was that like a pretty big jump in terms of like what you, I mean, obviously in some ways, definitely, but can you talk a little bit more about that? and? what it was like going from one end of the spectrum to the other, I guess? Sure, yeah. So obviously I had a whole bunch of new material to learn, but also a different culture to get into. So in particle physics, most experiments, at least the ones that I was ever involved in, had hundreds of people working together for a very large project. Whereas mm -hmm. 
my studies in astronomy, it's really me and my professor. There are large projects, usually telescopes and satellites that have many people involved in them, but it was kind of, it's kind of just me and my professor right now for our studies. Okay. Nice. And how long have you two been working together then? About three years now. So I switched halfway through my master's and I've completed two years of my PhD starting on the third now. So we've been working together for about three years uh, studying galaxies. That's awesome. And I know you talked a little bit about it, but if you want to elaborate more, what is some of your previous research involved now being a PhD candidate? You've probably done a good amount of it. You know, you said that you had your thesis between um, a project in the Sudbury Snow Lab um, and stuff like that. So what has kind of all that been like? Yeah, so my master's thesis was split between um, studying dark matter deep under two kilometers underground in the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory lab. And uh, then the other half was studying spiral galaxies with Stefan, my, my supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been doing for my PhD is sort of focusing more on galaxies. I've been sort of collecting data for a few thousand galaxies cool. and wow. trying to make trying to make some sort of trends out of their properties. I I sort of start by analyzing images of these galaxies and extracting mm -hmm. information like how big is this galaxy, how bright is the galaxy, what color is it, how fast is it rotating? all sorts of different parameters that I can then correlate with each other. Wow, that sounds really awesome and like a lot of a lot of interesting work. I can't even imagine what that must be like just learning about all that kind of stuff. It's been a lot of fun and along the way I've also uh, started working at the Queen's Observatory and managing that. So I get to share my research with people all the time and I I quite enjoy telling them about galaxies, especially when we're using the observatory to look at a galaxy, then I can talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm, for sure. That sounds like an amazing opportunity that you're able to um, share all your research with and stuff. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're here to talk about um, what happened over the weekend, the SpaceX launch and stuff like that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about SpaceX as a company, perhaps, whatever you may know about it and them? All right, so, uh, well, SpaceX has been around for a while now, about 18 years, mm -hmm. um, and their their founding goal is to make human life interplanetary. They really want humans living in all sorts of different planets aside from Earth. Mm -hmm. And the mission over the weekend was really a critical step in that goal in order to get humans to other planets you need to show that you can get humans anywhere. And to that, this weekend, they got humans to the International Space Station, to low Earth orbit, the hardest part of the whole journey, really. Right. Um, so, yeah, sorry, right. were you going to say something? Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to say that um, SpaceX has actually been flying to the International Space Station for quite a while now. They've flown over 20 missions to the International Space Station. Okay. Sort 
demonstrating that they were able to do this. Mm-hmm. What was that with that? That was without passengers, right? Correct. So they've been flying uh, cargo to the International Space Station for quite a right. while, uh, showing that they could run run the whole mission just without people there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and on that note, because this was the first mission where NASA um, astronauts were um, using um, like spaceship from a private a spaceship from a private company, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and why this whole launch has been so significant and historic? Especially because I think it was the first time in a lot in many years that um, they've let people go up. I think. Yeah. So it's. It's the first time in nine years since anyone has launched from American soil, and okay. it's the first time ever that a commercial rocket provider has actually launched humans into space to get to the International Space Station. Um, so this this is sort of a, a stepping point in a very large range of projects that can now be done in the future, now that we have a commercial provider for human spaceflight. That's that's really one of the main reasons that it's historic. Is it's the first time that a company has actually managed to get people into space. Right. Um and what exactly is the mission of the NASA astronauts who are up there and, and what's their purpose for going in this specific um crew dragon? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, so the Crew Dragon is sort of the the top little bit of the rocket that held the people, and this mission was sort of a demonstrator to show that that Crew Dragon was capable to go through all phases of the mission with humans inside it. The rocket launch, all of the different phase burns that they had to do in order to align with the International Space Station, and of the docking, which itself is quite challenging. Um, You can actually try and uh, dock with the International Space Station for yourself in a game that SpaceX released. If you oh, just look up, cool. <laughs> yeah, if you just look up International Space Station Docking Simulator, then you can actually play an online game where you use the exact same interface that the astronauts did and try and dock for yourself. And nice. it it takes a couple tries to get it right because it's it's really quite deceiving how slow you need to go in space in order to not crash into things. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and on that note, um, what happens, so now that they have docked with the International Space Station, what's kind of the next step from there and what kind of happens for the next few months while they're up there? Right. So the regular operations that astronauts do on the International Space Station is mostly scientific. They manage uh, many, many experiments that are run on the International Space Station. Some of those experiments, the analysis is performed on the ground. So what the astronauts do is they take regular um, measurements of their blood pressure, heart rate, all sorts of um, blood samples that they have to keep taking and freezing and keeping on the International Space Station. And then they send those back down to Earth to be analyzed further. So there's lots of monitoring of the astronauts themselves. And then there's other experiments where they try and grow plants in space and see how the zero gravity affects them. They 
uh, run new pieces of equipment that help sustain human life in space. For example, they have a waste recycler, so their their urine gets recycled and can become clean drinking water again. Wow. Um, and all sorts of different equipment, technologies, and scientific discoveries in order to try and keep humans alive and healthy in space. We learned very quickly that spending a long time in space means deteriorating bones, deteriorating muscles. The original astronauts had a hard time walking when they got back to Earth because they felt so heavy. Well, now, now astronauts can almost walk, almost walk right out of the, um, the capsule because we have very intense training regimens in order to keep their muscles working. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, so they they can run like a hundred experiments at a time on the International Space Station. The astronauts are very busy. They can be scheduled down to five minute increments of what they need to be doing. Oh wow! And they have a whole crews that are managing their time while they're up there. Interesting. Um, and once um, you know, once this mission's done and they come back, what do you what do you think or what's kind of expected um, as what's going to happen next with everything? Well, so the next stages are really already being planned. These astronauts are going to stay up at the International Space Station for a month, maybe a few months until mm -hmm. the first crew mission can actually be launched. Technically, this was a demonstrator mission. So okay. they, didn't, they didn't actually have um, a full plan for everything that these astronauts will be doing, they're sort of going to be supporting a lot of the experiments that are already going on. The crew mission, which will probably be in August, unless there are delays, um, that will be bringing astronauts officially as uh, crew transport to the International Space Station, not just as a demonstrator for certification. And going forward beyond that, there's a whole lot of exciting new things that SpaceX can sort of take on now mm -hmm. that they can do crewed missions. There's talk about creating a space hotel or at the very least bringing space tourists up to the International Space Station. Wow, that's space, space crazy to has, think about. <laughs> it is crazy to think about. I'm, I'm really excited. I want to be a space tourist. I don't have the money for it, but maybe <laughs> one day. Um, there's, also, there's also the um, plan that SpaceX has to launch many, many artists in missions that would do a flyby around the moon and then come back to Earth. Wow. And you can, you can only imagine what these artists will bring back with them, seeing the moon for themselves. And, yeah, that's... And of course, there's the long-term goal of getting humans to... Um, living to live on the moon with the Artemis program and mm -hmm. the even longer term goal of getting humans to live on Mars. All yeah. of these things are now possible because we can get humans into space. Wow. That's crazy that it's kind of almost becoming more of a possibility and more real for our future. I think that's the, the biggest thing that this launch means to me really is this, there's been a bit of a lull for the last decade or so where uh, space exploration has really more been space routine. And now we're going to start seeing a lot of firsts 
we're going to start to see the first artists launched to the moon, the first continuously manned moon programs. All of these things are possible now. Yeah, and that was actually going to be my next question. Like, what does this whole venture mean for the future of space exploration? But you you said it, like it's <laughs> being able to take people up to all these places that I personally like never thought possible that I would see in my lifetime. Um, maybe it's still not, but you never know now. <laughs> well, that's the thing right now. It's, it's a real possibility. People are talking about it as it can actually happen. Up until now, it's always been like, yes, we know that it's doable, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Now right. we know like this is really doable. We have, we have the technology, we have the support, we we can make these things happen in a reasonable amount of time. It's not and, far future anymore. It's the near future. And to you and um, other experts in this sort of thing, like what um, what do you mean, relatively speaking, when you say near future? Well, um, SpaceX is notorious for delaying things, but <laughs> their their plan is to send up send up these artists sometime 2023, maybe even later. So we're talking like a few years, maybe five years, if if they get double time delay, which happens fairly regularly. Space is right. still a very challenging uh, field to move in, but still, <laughs> even if it's five years, that's not really too long uh, to wait. Right. Um, so these the uh, the Artemis program going to the moon to create a like permanent habitat that's projected for something like 2024. That's no, really not too far. That's that really not too, too far. far no. <laughs> so can you elaborate a little bit on the art on the Artemis project? Right. So there there's multiple levels to the project. First up is a new space station, kind of like the International Space Station, that would orbit the Moon instead of Earth. The plan is for that to have regular crew, but not continuously crewed. So there would be times that it has to operate autonomously, which mm -hmm. means we'll have to bring a lot of new uh, 21st century technology to help this space station um, sort of manage itself. Right. And then going forward from there, um, there would actually be a moon base, a sort of permanent place where astronauts can land and perform experiments with materials that they found on the moon. Interesting. Yeah, and actually Canada is going to be a major part of this. The Canadarm3 is planned to be part of the moon space station that would orbit around the moon, and it'll be able to help put the whole station together. That arm will be the robotic arm that moves all of the modules to where they need to be. Wow, that's awesome. That's really great for um for Canada, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of Canada we've got a lot of expertise in technology and especially in uh space robot arm building with the other two Canadas. So while Canada may not necessarily be able to contribute uh financially at the level of some of the other countries in the world, mm -hmm. we can contribute technologically at a level that gains Canadian astronauts access to these sorts of um, space stations. Right. 
Um, awesome. And I know that, um, well, you mentioned there's an online event at the observatory and stuff like that. Do you want to maybe just tell um, us a little bit about it and how people can access the event? Yes. So the Queen's Observatory is going to run the Quest for Space Trivia Night, June 13th at 7 p.m. You can find us on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, just uh, Queen's Observatory. And uh, so there we're going to post a Zoom link soon, and you'll be able to sort of join in, download a PDF page that you can sort of fill in the blanks as we ask questions. And we're going to do some space trivia. The hope is that the trivia will have a whole range of question difficulties. So everybody gets to participate. We, we have a lot of families that come to our regular open houses, but we can't run those open houses right now. Right. So we're running, we're running a trivia night and uh, we, want, we want everyone who comes there to have a good time and to learn some cool space facts. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we end off? Sure. I'd love to add that you can actually see the International Space Station for yourself. Um, if you get an app on your phone called ISS Detector, okay. then it will give your phone a little buzz when you're five minutes away from the International Space Station flying above your GPS coordinates. No way, that's so cool. It's it's really cool. There's there's usually like three or so uh, flyovers that will happen every week. So you're you you can see it pretty easily. And if there's cloudy weather, you can just wait for the next one in a couple days. And it's really, really easy to spot. Some days it's the brightest thing in the sky and it's moving nice and fast, almost like a plane. It only takes like three three to five minutes to make it across the whole sky. So you really do oh, wow. need, need the app in order to know when to go out and see it. Okay, that's awesome. I think I'm going to download that myself and check it out maybe hopefully sometime this week. It's a lot of fun. The, the night that um, Crew Dragon flew into space, I went out and saw the International Space Station fly overhead. Oh, no way. So, that's awesome. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on air um, to talk about this amazing event and stuff like that. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy to, it's great to talk about such an extraordinary event. Yeah, definitely. And I had no idea, uh, uh, like you, I had no idea that everything, um, that you know like they're thinking of sending up artists and stuff like that and even just doing that within like the next four or five years it's I had no idea so thank you for telling me about that because that's pretty cool I'm really excited the artists will really do do a lot for bringing the whole experience down to earth for us and sharing it yeah definitely I can't even imagine this this kind of stuff that they're going to do with all with that sort of experience exactly yeah yeah um but yeah thank you so much um for talking with me about this stuff again um well that's great thanks for having me yeah thank you again i hope you have a good rest of your day you too have a nice day thank you bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.
Well, that was a great interview that we had with Connor Stone, who's a PhD candidate at Queen's University. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to listen to a song called Things Like This a Little Bit Deeper by Sonic Boom. Kind of reminds me a little bit of space and hopefully you'll get that from the intro as well and it's not just me who hears it since we're just had the topic of space um, that we talked about so enjoy this this is sonic boom things like this a little bit deeper on cfrc 101.9 fm
was Sonic Boom, things like this a little bit deeper on CFRC 101.9 FM. I hope you enjoyed that conversation that we had earlier with Connor Stone. I think I learned a lot and I found it pretty, pretty interesting. Um, so let's just, um, you know, instead of talking about things going on in outer space, let's bring it back down to the Kingston area. Kingston Community Health Centers, Loving Spoonful, and Community Harvest Kingston are pleased to announce that last week they received a grant of $10,000 from Community Food Centers Canada's Good Food Access Fund. This grant has allowed these partner agencies to provide 400 free good food boxes to the Kingston community for the months of April and May. Helen Maverly, who is the manager at Kingston Community Health Center, says that this partnership with Community Food Centers Canada's highlights how the community has come together during these tough times to ensure that residents have access to fresh produce and addresses the growing needs, um, the growing food needs of the community. It also showcases the community response to COVID-19 and that access to healthy food is a necessity to everyone. Jennifer Kehoe, who is the member of the Indigenous Health Council and partner assisting with good food box delivery to Indigenous community members, says that it's really great to see the lengths and ways that the community is, has been pulling together um, and reaching out to help those who um, are isolated and going through a difficult time during this pandemic. This funding from Community Food Centers Canada is provided in part thanks to the Government of Canada's Local Food Infrastructure Fund as part of the Food Policy for Canada. The Good Food Access Fund aims to strengthen food systems and facilitate access to safe and nutritious food for at-risk populations. CEO of Community Food Centres Canada, Nick Saul, says that even before the COVID-19 pandemic, food insecurity was an urgent issue. One in eight Canadians struggled to put food on the table. He says, the Good Food Access Fund aims to make sure that as many people as possible will be able to get the food that they need. And while we must deal with the current circumstances, CFCC remains committed to advancing policy change that addresses the underlying causes of food insecurity and poverty in Canada. We can't forget that structural inequity is at the core of so many of the challenges that Canadians face a fact which painfully confronts us when an emergency like this occurs. If you ever feel like you would to, if you ever feel like you would like to contribute to any of our local food shelter programs here in Kingston, you can always donate to the Kingston Food Bank, Loving Spoonful, Martha's Table, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and many many more. Um, a lot of these places are still providing food for those who are in need of it. Um, and some of them even provide takeout lunches, so um, prepared food and stuff like that. Um, so just contact your local food shelter. Um, if you would like to contribute, um, you can also donate um, money online if you visit any of their websites, which is um, a great way to give back during this difficult time. Last week, the city of Kingston opened the gym at the Artillery Park Aquatic Center located at 382 Bagot Street um, to be used as a cooling center. 
So the gym has set up to accommodate two meters of physical distancing. Um, anyone who wishes to cool down in the facility um, will just be asked a few simple questions at the door to screen for any COVID-19 systems to ensure that we are not putting other members of the community at risk, even though physical distancing is in place. Um, there are other um, cooling centers. Um, the one is at the city's Housing and Social Services office at 362 Montreal Street. Um, there is minimal space available there, um, and they're open 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday to Friday. The Kingston Community Health Center at 263 Weller Avenue is also open 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. The city of Kingston opened its municipal marinas to seasonal boaters last Friday, May 29th. Both the Confederation Basin and Portsmouth Olympic Harbor marinas are open with certain safety measures in place to ensure that it lines up with COVID-19 guidelines. The public boat launch at Portsmouth Olympic Harbor will also open to the public when the marina opens. Day and transient boaters are not permitted at this time um, because social distancing measures are being implemented. However, it will be under consideration after the marinas are opened and operational for seasonal boaters. Lucretia Turner, who is the Director of Recreation and Leisure Services for Kingston, says that for many weeks, we have been working to ensure a safe and welcoming environment for our seasonal boaters to the municipal marinas. Staff has been trained in health and safety protocols. Additionally, we are asking the boating community to adhere and respect our new COVID-19 guidelines. Municipal marina openings are being coordinated in consultation with rules and guidelines from the Ontario Boating Association as well as the Kingston Frontenac Lennox and Addington Public Health Offices. Additional signage, cleaning routines, closure of some amenities including lobby and laundry areas, and adjustments to operations to ensure that physical distancing practices are in place are all being implemented as part of the new protocol due to COVID-19. Staff is currently reaching out to seasonal boaters to confirm reservation agreements for the season under the new guidelines. Um, to request a seasonal slip um, for um, to reserve your place at the Confederation Basin Marina or Portsmouth Olympic Harbor, you can email um, either of them. You can go to the City of Kingston website and get their email, or you can call them at 613-546-4291, extension 1823. The city does anticipate a high number of inquiries, um, and so they just ask for your cooperation as they get ready um, to launch the season. As you may know, Kingston Pride Week would have begun this coming Sunday, but due to COVID-19, they cannot run Pride Festival events in person this year. However, Kingston Pride is working diligently to provide some sort of online programming to celebrate the diversity um, within our community and um, our commitment to helping each other, however, virtually. You can visit kingstonpride.ca to check out um, any updates on the website regarding virtual programming. 
Earlier last week, the Kingston and Frontenac Housing Corporation broke ground on a new mixed income housing project on land that was previously purchased by the city of Kingston to facilitate the development of affordable housing at 27 Wright Crescent. Mary Lynn Cousins Brame, CEO of KFHC, um, says that we are excited to have broken ground at 27 Wright Crescent, especially during this challenging time when affordable housing has become even more important. The public funding provided was essential to making this project happen. The project includes 40 units comprised of 10 rent geared to income units. 13 affordable units renting for 20% less than the average market rent, and 17 market rental units. This project was made possible through municipal and shared provincial federal capital funding contributions, which totaled about $2.5 million, as well as with a low-interest loan um, provided under the Federal National Housing Strategy. Mayor Brian Patterson says, affordable housing remains a top priority for city council. The current state of the world has only reinforced how important it is that we make, that we continue to make progress on affordable housing initiatives. We are also so pleased to break ground on this new project, which will provide much needed housing units in this desirable central location close to shopping, transit, and other amenities. The mayor also notes that a private rental building with 129 units is also being developed on the Wright Crescent property, which was purchased by the city from the Sisters of the Congregation of Notre Dame, specifically for the development of more affordable housing. I remember last year I did um, a segment when I was hosting a summer news show last summer on CFRC, I did a segment on the housing issue that we have in Kingston. Um, it was one of my first shows I remember and um, it was really interesting to learn about um, the housing project and the mayor's task force um, that was working towards um, bringing a perspective to discuss improvements and changes to accommodate for more affordable housing in Kingston because I remember at that time I think the vacancy rate was only 0.6% in Kingston but it is great to see that the city is taking further steps to um, provide more affordable housing for those who need it. On Monday, the City of Kingston, the Alma Mater Society of Queen's University, and the Student Association of St. Lawrence College terminated the agreements that provide universal unlimited Kingston transit access to post-secondary students. The agreements have a termination clause of June 1st for the upcoming academic year. The city and the two different student associations determined that the current agreements will not meet the needs of post-secondary students since most of them may be continuing their studies remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic. Since um, Queen's University announced that the fall semester will be online and that St. Lawrence, um, the um, most of their um, 
fall semester will be online, maybe 20 to 25% in person, but only for those who absolutely need to do work in class. In the previous agreement, all students from both Queen's University and St. Lawrence College paid a mandatory fee that allowed unlimited travel on Kingston Transit vehicles for a full year. I believe that Queen's University students only had to pay about um, somewhere from $90 to $100, um, St. Lawrence students a little bit more. Um, however, um, they are taking away this mandatory fee um, and um, Alexandra Samoyloff, who is the Vice President of Operations for the Alma Mater Society of Queens, said that it was a difficult decision to make, um, but due to COVID-19 and with all the interest, um, and in the best interest of all the different parties involved, the academic year may not bring back as many students as originally planned that need to access um, the public transportation in the city. It is currently unclear what possible solutions will be considered and made for students who do rely on Kingston Transit to get around in the city, such as groceries, jobs, volunteering, etc., all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, for any Queen's University and St. Lawrence students listening, um, those who are currently eligible um, and still have their little sticker or pass for the rest of the year, you continue to have access access to Kingston Transit under the current agreement until August 31st, 2020. So at the end of the summer, right before the um, school year begins. I know I mentioned this last week, but if you don't know, all of you hikers who are listening now have access to trails at Rock Dunder at the J.H. Fullard Nature Reserves. The trails opened up this past weekend at Rock Dunder on Stanley Lash Lane. The trails are one way to minimize the potential um, to violate the two meters minimal physical distancing requirement. Um, the park does ask um, visitors to wear masks when interacting with staff and volunteers to mitigate any risks and to the drivers of vehicles who arrive at the trailhead to check in. Um, washrooms and amenities are closed for the 2020 season. Um, benches and other structures will not be sanitized, so please be cautious of that. Um, but yeah, now that the weather has um, warmed up and it's been really, really nice outside, I think it's a great that the area has opened up for hikes so we can get out there, get exercise in, have a change of scenery um, while this pandemic still continues. And if you're looking for other stuff to keep yourself occupied, we are hosting Grad Club Trivia tomorrow night on our airways at 9pm, so tune in for a fun night of trivia with listeners and our fun staff here at CFRC and the Grad Club as well. Also, there is news that a new um, online art festival will be happening. Festival of Digital Art, also known as FOLDA, is set to launch 13 live performances um, over the dates of June 10th to June 13th um, next week, streamed from Toronto, New York City, Montreal, Los Angeles, and Kingston, which is super cool that we have this international um, sort of online festival. Um, audiences and art enthusiasts are invited to join four days of live art and live performance from their homes. Nothing is pre-recorded, it is all live. This is performances and workshops from all across North America. This is a really, really cool opportunity. 
I'll be talking more about this on my show next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, but in the same way that I started today's show with discussing the Black Lives Matter movement, I also want to end off the show today talking about it just to come full circle. As you know, maybe yesterday hundreds of people gathered in McBurney Park to show solidarity at the Black Lives Matter vigil, which was held at 4.30pm. The vigil was held in order to honor and mourn the lives of black people who have lost their lives due to anti-black racism, and this vigil was also held to demand justice. The organizers of the event recited names of not only black people but also indigenous people and other people of color who lost their lives at the hands of police brutality in this country. Many gathered to showcase the fact that police brutality does not just occur in the USA, but also in Canada. That concludes the end of today's episode of Today in YGK. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation, whether you're right here in Kingston or listening from elsewhere. I also hope that you have a fun and sunny-filled weekend. Looking at my forecast, it's supposed to be pretty nice. If there's any ever local news for you to share, please send myself, Alexandra, an email at news at CFRC. I hope you have a great rest of your day. This has been Today in YGK with Alexandra Fernandez, airing every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM this summer, also available on www.cfrc.ca and the TuneIn Radio app available for iOS and Android devices. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday, everybody, and take care. There's a feeling I can handle when it's too hard to be standing. I want to lie awake with you, stay. Do you want to see a change? I'm in love with a feeling I had from when your eyes were glazed. I'm in love with a feeling I had from when we were stuck in a This feeling is too soon to be falling I'm afraid to commit But I still find myself looking for one with you
Thank you for listening to Today in YGK, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.